The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Our pilgrims, right? Happy Thanksgiving. Um, how about we, we take just a moment um, and pray for these, these precious little pilgrims. Is that all right? Is that something we can do? Does that sound good? Can we pray? You guys want to pray? Good? All right. Let's talk to God. How about we do that? Let's talk. Dear God, thank you so much for these kids. Thank you so much for your love for them. Thank you for your grace. Lord, they have no idea um, the, the grace that they've been shown that they would be able to, to be here at such a young age and to hear your truth. Lord, we thank you for that. That's so kind. That's so, such a gift you've given. Um, Lord, I, I pray that uh, these little ones, um, as they grow up, um, they would know you. As they know you now and they would know you then. Lord, I pray people would ask them, hey, when did you come to know Jesus? And they'd be puzzled because they would think, I've always known Jesus. Um, Lord, would you raise them uh, with such intimacy? And Lord, would you equip this church to love and serve these children well? Thank you so much for these kids. Thank you for your love for them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh-oh, he lost his hat. Come on, pilgrim. You got to keep your hat on. <clears throat> Did they had they had radio flyers back then? Really? It's historically inaccurate, children's ministry. All right, um, well, <clears throat> thank you so much for being here. Um, well, this is a, a, a really great day to be here. I'm, I'm really excited as we finish up this, this thing. We've been in Titus chapter 2, um, and I'm really excited to finish that up. Next week, I can't believe it, but next week is the start of Advent, um, which is unbelievable that, that we're already getting close there. That's, that's ridiculous. And, and this Thursday's Thanksgiving, so um, if you guys, uh, you come up and find me later. Um, the day after Thanksgiving is my favorite day because traditionally, that's where church members show their gratitude to their pastor by bringing their leftovers. Uh, so I'll give you my address and um, you can be faithful to the Lord in that. I want to stop real quick. Um, uh, the, the Kalers are here this morning. Uh, Jim and B. Kaler are here this morning. It's great to see them. Really great to see both of you. Especially great to see one of you. I'll let you figure out which one. All right. So it's great that you're here. But we've been in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or on your smartphones or whatever, however you'd like to read the Bible, you can do that. There's some under your chairs. You can take those uh, and use those. If you'd like to take it with you, take it with you, all right? Um, the little white Bible, the ESV, that's what I use. That's what, what, if you want to follow along, it might be easier there. If you prefer the King James, we, thou shalt not judge you, all right, ye or whatever, you can use that. Um, but we've been looking at Paul's instruction to Titus as he's leading this church in Crete, okay? And, and Paul's instruction to Titus is, uh, is simple. He wants their lives, wherever they are in life, wherever they are uh, uh, generationally, wherever they are uh, um, in their careers, in their families, he wants their lives to be fruitful and to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Remember we talked about that, to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. May your lives uh, uh, be lived out in such a way that they clearly display the beauty 
beauty of the gospel, right? Clearly display the beauty of the gospel of God. And so he gives specific uh, uh, instructions to different generations and even into different genders because it's not by accident that we're all here in this room. It's not by accident that everyone in this room is not the same age. It's not by accident that everyone in this room is not the same gender, right? God has called us all together to uniquely uh, adorn the doctrine of God where we are. And, and so we've discussed older men, older women, younger women, and we've seen how, how they're expected to connect with the other generations in the body of Christ and to serve uniquely there. And this week we're going to conclude by addressing younger men. And so before we, we, we move on to the scripture, we have to ans- ask this question. We ask every week, who are they? Who are the younger men? Well, there was no traditional middle age back then. So some, some men in here, I have some good news for you. Uh, traditionally, a, a younger man uh, would be anybody who is not beyond the normative childbearing age, okay? So, for example, uh, like 20s, maybe, up even into late 40s, maybe even into your 50s, all right? So how many 49-year-olds I just make your day, right? You are a young man. Well done, all right? Uh, so it's somewhere in there. So for the sake of what we're talking about today, it's going to be people, again, like maybe maybe early 20s, right? Maybe as you turn, come into adulthood, into middle age, um, all the way up to older men there. And, 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 and so I, it's... Uh, there's, there's no middle age there, and, and I get it, you're, you're in that younger men thing, and, and, and there's good news, right? I, I hear there's good things about middle age, I'm not necessarily looking forward to it, but I hear there's good news to middle age, that middle age, I heard, is when everything, you know, starts to, to click, you know, your, your elbow and your knees and, and your back and your neck, right? But, but, but so, so anyway, so, so this instruction is for those people, those young men. However, this instruction to young men, young men is to uh, be examples of, of these things, of these behaviors, right? So to be examples. And so uh, in doing so, that means that they're examples so that the rest of the church will what? Emulate them, okay? And so this instruction, yes, it's directed at young, younger men in the church, right? However, this is still godly instruction. It's still righteousness. It's applicable to all people. Let's get to Titus chapter 2, verse 6 through 8. Likewise, Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. So, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, all right? So, in that, in that first blank, write blue. Um, no, I'm just kidding. And, that, and we just follow there on number one, self-control, so with older men, we talked about being in self-control. Even with women, last week we talked about self-control. And remember, I gave you this definition when we talked about self-control. Self-control means we have control over our emotions and our behavior, right? It's complete control, right? So last week when we, when we dealt with men, women, we, we focused mainly on the temptations in, in women's life to be out of control uh, emotionally, right? And so when we, we deal with, with younger men, we're gonna look at the temptations that, that mainly affect younger men. Uh, when it comes to self-control, where they definitely need self-control and where those temptations look to, to attack that self-control in their lives. And what do we do about it. And so number one, and we're going to spend a lot of time here this morning, number one is pride. Pride is at the core of every temptation we're going to address, and that's why we need to start here and stay here for a while. Pride 
is detestable to the Lord. Proverbs 8, 13. And, and by the way, I'm going to say a lot of things about pride, but this should be the most convincing thing about pride. This should be the most convincing thing to, to get it under control because the, the word says that the Lord resists the proud. He resists the proud. There aren't too many things I necessarily want in this life, but I tell you what I want. I don't want the Lord to resist me. I want the Lord to be near to me. I want the Lord's grace. I need it. And so pride is detestable to the Lord. Pride is self-defeating and it brings disgrace. I watched a documentary on um, some players who set world records playing Donkey Kong, all right? And I don't mean like on the Nintendo or anything like that. I mean in the arcade, like the original arcade. And they would stand there for hours playing Donkey Kong. And, and, they're in the, 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 uh, I think it's called... A Fistful of Quarters, I think is what it's called, but it's a great documentary. Uh, it's better than going to Walmart and watching people, right? It is, there's some incredible people in the documentary. Well, it, it piqued my interest, and I thought, uh, if, if gaming is so big now, and before they had personal game systems at home, what was that like? Like, were there other big gamers and, and things like that? And, and sure enough, I came across a great example of pride uh, being destructive and self-defeating, and it made me laugh. And this woman in North Carolina, there's a game called Tapper. Uh, Tapper, if you've seen the Disney movie Wreck-It Ralph with your kids, uh, when Wreck-It Ralph goes to have a root beer, uh, you see the game Tapper. The game Tapper, you were, that's what you were. You ran a tavern and you tried to get um, beverages. Again, I'm sure it was root beer. Uh, to everyone there, right? And that was the game. <clears throat> it sounds terrible because it is terrible. If you have an iPhone, you can download it now and play it. It's awful. But anyway, this woman in North Carolina was really, really good at it. And so she went into play 14 hours later. 14 hours later, standing on her feet, she's still playing. She's still playing, and she has about seven and a half million points. No one else has ever come close to that in the game. And so there's a big acclaim for stuff like that. So she tells one of her friends, you need to call the news. Call the news and get them here, all right? This is a big deal. I want it to be a big deal. So the news shows up, right? And as they show up, they're setting up their cameras, and they realize they need more lights. So they start to unplug machines to plug in lights. And guess which machine they unplug first? Tapper, right? And there was no backup. Her score went away. Her 14 hours went away. The good news is her corns didn't go away, right? But, but she, everything she wanted was gone. Why? Because of her, her pride. She wanted everyone to see her, and nobody did. All right? Uh, pride brings destruction, Proverbs 16, 18. Pride brings shame, Proverbs 29, 23. I, I heard about a large company that, that brought in a CEO, and, and he kept saying, like, I can, I can shake things up. I can turn this place around better than anybody. And, and so he, he walked up. It was his first day. He walked up, and he saw this guy leaning against the wall, and he decided, I'm going to make an example out of him, really show that I'm tough, and I know what I'm doing. And he walked right up to him and said, how much money do you make a week? And the guy was really surprised. I can't believe he, uh, $300. And so he handed him $1,200 cash out of his pocket and said, get out, right? And he, he started feeling good about himself, said, I know what I'm doing. I'm the big guy around here. And he said, what did, that, what did that goof off and that slacker do here anyway? And someone from across the room said, that was the, the pizza guy who just delivered our lunch, right? So 
Pride brings shame. Pride stirs up fight. Isn't that the source of most of your fights, right? You want your way. You believe that your way is best. Pride rejects the wisdom of others. Pride is is deceptive. You think it's gone or you think it's dead and it's back. There's a great example of uh, of a, a bullfighter, his name was Jose Cubero. Uh, he was 21 years old, had a spectacular career, um, and he loved he he loved the the, the adoring fans, right? And, um, and and so this this bull was dizzied and bloodied, and and so he puts his sword through the bull. The bull falls down, and before checking to make sure the bull was dead, he turned his back to the bull and started celebrating, right? And just drinking in all these people's praise, and the bull got up. And stuck his horn uh, through the man's back and through the man's heart. And he died there. And I think pride's the same way in our lives. I think a lot of the times we think, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I don't have that problem anymore. Yeah, yeah, maybe when I was younger. Yeah, 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 maybe, maybe when I was new to this career. Maybe, maybe when, this, when, when this, the, the, the new car smell hadn't worn off. But, but I got my pride in check. I got it under control. And just when we think it's dead, it's not. By the way, we should never consider pride dead in our life until we are. You know what I mean? And so uh, uh, how does someone who has self-control deal with pride? Well, they're constantly looking for it in every arena they know because they know it's always lurking and it always looks different. If pride is that deceptive, if it's that, if it's that cunning, right? If it's something that, uh, that, that, that can adapt to so many different things, how can we be on alert? We can always be on alert through this. Worship and thanksgiving. Worship and thanksgiving. It protects your perspective. When you worship, you look at Him. Psalm 8, 1 through 4. Listen to this. This is David. Listen. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place. All right, so he's worshiping God and look at what it does to his pride. Check this out. This is what he says. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? It protects his perspective as he worships the Lord and gets a real picture of who God is. He gets a real picture of who he is. So many times when we go to God, what do we say? Help me with this. Why aren't you helping me with this, right? Why isn't this situation turning out the way I want it to turn out? But when David worshiped the Lord, his response was, Lord, who am I that you would even be mindful of me? Who am I that you would even know I exist, right? Worship protects your uh, uh, your perspective. It protects your humility because when you give thanks, you must recognize the source. Ephesians 5.20 tells us, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So thanksgiving is designed by God to protect our humility by, re- by recognizing the source of blessing. How bizarre would it be to, to, uh, to give thanks for the item and not the source? That's not what thanksgiving is designed to do. And it's not how it works. Imagine if Christmas comes up and Angela gives me a new watch and I put it on and I say, oh watch, thank you for shining and looking new and clean and keeping time. I'm so thankful for you, watch, right? What in the world would happen? I would probably, it wouldn't be a good morning. I'll just say that, right? It would not be a good morning. I would take, I'd have to take 
the Christmas tree to the curb that day and stay with it, right? Like it would not be a good morning. Thanksgiving's not designed to stop on the object. It's designed to take you back to the source and the source is the Lord Jesus. We're told that in Ephesians 5.20. So stay on alert through worship and Thanksgiving. It'll protect your perspective through prayer. Ask God to reveal your pride. And this is not an empty exercise. If you don't hear anything else I say today, if you don't listen to anything else, please do this. Ask the Lord to reveal your pride because he will. He will and will help you with that. The word of God will reveal your pride. Read Proverbs. We've been going through it with the high school uh, uh, guys uh, here at the church. Pray for them, by the way. And it's been an incredible time as we've gone through it. And it's, it's shown me areas of pride that, that have been previously undiagnosed, have been previously, I've been blind to. So the Lord, through his word, reveals uh, our pride. And through accountability, someone should see you so much and be, be so familiar with you and see you so clearly that they can identify Uh, moments of pride, that they can be on alert and watch your back. And that same person should be able to speak so clearly. Maybe you need to have a a conversation with someone, a difficult conversation with someone in your life where you give them permission to call you out on your pride. Because pride is that dangerous, it's worth it. And maybe you need to have that conversation. Pride isn't a joke. It's at the core of our rebellion from God and it, it drives us out of control so what are some, some specific areas in young men's lives that there's temptation that can make it difficult to be self-controlled? Ultimately, yes, pride is always at the core. But I think another area, another temptation, secondly, let's start with something obvious, lust. Men are the primary consumers of pornography. These are some statistics from CovenantEyes.com with some sources from the Internet Filter Review and some other groups. <coughs> it says 40 million people view porn. Of those 40 million, men are more than 534% more likely to look at porn than women. Two billion searches for pornography have been made since January 1, 2013. 51% of pastors polled says internet porn is a temptation. 51% of pastors. 50% of Christian men surveyed say they are addicted to porn. 50%. And most men, by the way, are exposed to porn by 12 years old. Men's magazines are filled with half-naked women. Movie studios, when they cut trailers for movies, will put scenes that aren't even in the movie just because, there are, uh, just because they will um, uh, entice men to come see the movie. Advertising targeted to men is pretty simple. Lust sells. Our world's argument is that lust is human. It's natural, right? It's not necessarily dangerous or detrimental. Men will look at women. Women will fantasize about men. It's only human. The Lord, however, says this. Lust is inhuman. It disrespects the design of all people, that they are image bearers of God, and they have an innate dignity of that, in that design, and reduces people from that, image bearers of God, to objects. Lust isn't about them. It's about you. You don't care what your lust does to them. You don't care about them. You care about you and how they make you feel. Lust is inhuman. It's a complete opposite of what it means to be human. I love Richard Exley's quote on this. He said, Lust is not the result of an overactive sex drive. It's not a biological phenomenon or or the byproduct of our glands. If it were, then it could be satisfied with a sexual experience, like a glass of water quenches thirst or a good meal satisfies appetite. But the more we attempt to appease our lust, the more demanding it becomes. 
There's simply not enough erotica in the world to satisfy lust's insatiable appetite. When we deny our lustful obsessions, we're not repressing a legitimate drive. We're putting to death an aberration. Lust is to the gift of sex what cancer is to a normal cell. Therefore, we deny it, not in order to become sexless saints, but in order to be fully alive to God, which includes the full and uninhibited expression of our sexual being within the God-given context of marriage. I love that quote. So men, what do we do about lust? How can we be self-controlled? Well, we said it last week to the women when we dealt with their purity. Number one, confess it. James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. There are resources to help you. Come talk to me. I tell you, I didn't start to experience true healing in my life in this area until I confessed it, until I sought some help and had some brothers pray for me. And there are resources upon resources of help for you. And there are brothers struggling with you. If that statistic was true of that church that was surveyed, 50% of men are addicted to pornography, then I would say the majority of this men wrestle with lust. Uh, the majority of the men in this room wrestle with lust uh, throughout the week. You are not alone. Confess it and let's work on it. Let's support one another. Maybe there's healing from the Lord waiting for you and you don't have it because you haven't been faithful to confess it and to be prayed for. The second one, and I love this, guys. Remember our sisters and mothers. Remember our sisters and mothers. Some of you are like, this is weird. I don't want to go down this road. Hang on, stay with me. In First and Second Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, another young man, uh, to instruct the church at Ephesus. And he deals with how we relate to women. Look at what he says. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 2. Treat older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Isn't that beautiful? Treat older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. I love this simplicity. I think that of all the people the Lord has called, I am by far the densest, all right? Like, he, he, like I'm going to get to heaven and the Lord's going to be like, man, I, I really thought you were going to get lost on your way here, right? Like, I love when the Lord gives me simple instruction. There's no confusion on where to draw the line here, right? It's clear. Would that thought or that behavior be appropriate if she were your mother or sister? No? Then don't do it. It's simple here. That, that joke... Mother or sister, no, don't. Pornography, mother or sister, please say no, then don't. That look, that thought, that flirting, mother or sister, no, then don't. It's simple. I love this simple maxim here that, that, that deals with such a major life issue. And, and, and by the way, men, some of you in this room, as you, as you heard that scripture and as, you, as you've learned this maxim from the Lord, then you should, you should rejoice. You should rejoice because the Lord just gave you a powerful weapon against such a powerful foe in your life. Remember your mothers and sisters. It's wonderful. I love it. What's another area of temptation for the young man that needs to be controlled? Work. The category of young men is a category of work, right? Because typically, if it goes from 20 up even into your 50s, this is a time where you begin to work, and it, and, and it typically this time ends with, with retirement, where your work becomes less and less and less. So, so this is a huge part of a younger man's life. And so understandably, there's huge temptation. There's a temptation to work too hard. 
to be a workaholic. How many of you in here would have to admit that at times you've been a workaholic? At times you've been addicted to workahol. Anybody? Anybody in here? It's okay. It's okay. We love you. This is a safe place. All right? We're all tempted by it. My wife uh, uh, one evening um, made it clear to me that she didn't want my kids to only recognize me by the glow of my laptop screen, right? There's always more to do. There's always something else that needs to be done. Remember the farmer said the hardest thing about milking cows, they never stay milked, right? There's always something to do. And the word instructs us to work hard. Colossians 3, 23, Proverbs 13, 2 Thessalonians 3. But what's the danger in working too hard? We lose perspective. Our work becomes primary. And, and, and we lose perspective with our relationships. My work is primary. With the Lord, my work becomes primary, not what He's doing through my work. I love the scripture, Romans 14, 8. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And when you become a workaholic, you work too hard, you lose that perspective, Right? With our relationships, I don't have time to be thankful. I don't have time to worship. I don't have time for him and his work. With the Lord's blessings, we we even miss his blessings because we're too busy to even look around. So rest. There's a temptation there as well to rest too much, to be lazy. Rest is godly. He designed it, Genesis 2. He commands it, Exodus 20, and he invites us to it, Matthew 11. It is godly, but we can take it too far. I think a great example of it is there's an older couple uh, sitting by a fire and after a long silence, the wife said, Jed, I think it's raining. Would you get up and go outside and see? And after a long pause, gazing into the fire, the old man said, ah, ma, why don't we just call in the dog and see if he's wet, right? Sometimes rest is too much. So what does self-control look like with our work? You know what it looks like? If you want to turn your Bibles, you can. It looks like Genesis chapter 1. That's what it looks like. That's what self-control looks like. Look at verse 3. This is creation. God said, let there be light. There was light. God saw the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And what? There was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. If you continue, it continues with that pattern. Creation and there was evening and there was morning. Creation and there was evening and there was morning. There's a rhythm here. That God, he, he created and he showed us and he, he exemplified it. Work and rest. Creation and rest. Work and rest. Self-control is finding the rhythm of work and rest, right? So how do you find that rhythm? I think it's simple. You ask regularly. You ask You ask the Lord. Making time to ask in all arenas is a pretty good sign that your priorities are straight, right? So you ask the Lord. Secondly, and this is a difficult one, ask your family. Am am I here enough? Have I I put my work above you guys? Right? Ask your family. It's serious. It's a difficult conversation, but it's worth it because the stakes are high, right? You ever heard the song Cat in the Cradle? Exactly, right? The stakes are high, Ask your family. Ask your friends. Am I living a balanced life here? 
Am I giving myself to, 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 where, to where the Lord's given me these different spheres of influence? Am I, am I being uh, uh, too much into one? Am I, am I ignoring these other areas the Lord wants me to, to live in? Ask an older man, how did you do this well? How did you balance this career? And how did you balance this with your family? How did you not do it well, right? Ask, ask and learn balance. You need to be self Controlled. Now, isn't the rest of the instruction that we're going to find here to Titus, uh, uh, isn't it just to Titus and not to younger men? It says, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself, that's Titus, in all respects, to be a model of good works in your teaching. Show integrity, dignity, and sound speech. Titus is a young man. But isn't Titus the leader of this church in Crete? Yes, but leading a church or being an elder in a church has nothing to do with age. I've heard of a church one time that was silly enough to call a 26-year-old to preach. That's crazy, right? But... But Titus, by our previous definition of younger man, is a younger man. Titus 1.4, Paul says, Titus, my true child in a common faith. Uh, judging by his death, he was probably in his early 20s at this point. So Titus is a young man, uh, or excuse me, early 30s. So Titus, a young man, is instructed to be an example to young man. So this instruction is for all young men then. It's important. The result of this instruction is found in verse 8. That cannot be condemned so that... An opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. What does it matter if an opponent has anything evil to say about us, right? Sticks and stones, isn't that right? It's because this, it affects your ability to adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. So this is important. You need to exemplify these things. Follow this instruction so that you will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. So the following commands to Titus and younger men are fleshed out examples, I believe, of how to pursue self-controlled living. You want to live self-controlled? Then set your minds on these things. So secondly, uh, young men should be model uh, of good works. So good is God works, things that are pleasing to God. Why is this pointed out specifically to young men? I mean, it seems to do good works is obvious. Ephesians 2 tells us we were created for good works. That seems obvious. It seems obvious that we should go meet needs. It seems obvious we should serve others, pray for others, uh, take care of one another, take care of widows, encourage one another, right? Like that seems obvious that we're supposed to do good works. But look what it says. It's not just doing good works. It says be a model of good works, be an example. So why this instruction? Because the church needs younger men that's the full spectrum of younger men, to not wait their turn, but to be examples of good works now. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. The temptation as a younger man is to look at good works and put them on our list for later in life, Right? When I'm out of college, I'll study the Word of God more, right? When I'm, out, when I'm out of my 20s, I'll serve in the church more. When my kids get older, I'll really devote myself to prayer. When my career slows down, I'll serve my neighbor better. When, my, when I retire, I can finally have time to mentor someone, right? When, I, when my kids leave the house, I'll have time to lead in the church. And our temptation, or the temptation as a young man, is to use youth as an excuse to not be an example, I look around and it seems like there's a lot of older people in the church and, and, and you know what? They seem really serious about their faith. That's when I'll be really serious about my faith. No one pays attention to me. What difference could I possibly make? But use your ambition and your drive for holy things and be an example now. You have no idea how God wants to inspire others through your obedience. I tell you right now, there's a college student in this church uh, that's challenged me to love my family better because of how he loves his. You understand? 
Don't wait. Be an example now. And in your teaching, show integrity. So number three, show integrity. Not just teach integrity. Verse one, he says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. He's already told, teach it. Okay, teach sound doctrine. But so not just teach it. So Paul's saying, practice what you preach. Be an example of what you teach. Live in agreement with sound doctrine. The Greek word for integrity here literally means incorruptibility. So may your life reflect sound doctrine without corruption. Isn't that a great picture of integrity? That my life would display the truth of God without corruption? It's a great picture. Corruption creeps in though, doesn't it? There are times we know the truth to to love our wives like Christ loves the church, but we take the easy road and we get angry when we don't get our way. We know the truth that our mouth, in our mouths is a power of death and life, and yet we still get careless with our words around our friends. So, so what do we do about corruption and, and showing integrity? I think, the, I think our, our main weapon is community. We talk about accountability in the church a lot, and that's great. We need it. We talk about that a lot. However, being accountable to someone, uh, uh, answering to someone, right, admitting your faults to someone is just a subheading under a larger need for Christians in its, com- uh, in its community. The Lord knit us together to live life together. That's everything. In Philippians 2, when Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, you're not supposed to do that alone. That's part of a community. Have other friends that are helping you think through and wrestle through the truths of the Bible and how you're living them out to show that integrity in your life. Some of you accomplish this through small groups and and, and even Sunday school and Bible studies. But there should be someone or some people who are helping you line up your life with that truth, right? Wrestling with the scriptures together. That's what uh, Proverbs 27, 17 says. Iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. You get that picture of of, of rubbing that friction, right? Of, Of wrestling together, figuring that out. So you need community to help you line your life up with the truth. Fourthly, show dignity. Now we've seen this word before. We've seen it with older men. Remember, remember the Greek definition of dignity? What is it? To be serious. It means a lack of frivolity. A characteristic of young men is what? It's, it's small perspective. Why? Because they haven't lived long enough. They haven't lived with enough experience. And so young men get bent out of shape over frivolous things, right? Young men get bent out of shape over what kind of car they drive. Older men, you just hope you can keep driving at night, Right? They get bent out of shape over, over the title they hold. Older men, your, your title is it's gone. You retire, they, they kind of take that from you. The, the, the younger men are, are concerned about the color of their hair. Older men, hair? What hair, right? Young men are tempted to be serious about the wrong things because of a lack of perspective and experience. I think a great example of this, and maybe you can get a, a better understanding of the comparison of, uh, between a first-time parent and a seasoned vet. You know what I mean? I think it's a great example of someone who doesn't have proper perspective because they don't have that experience. Like a, a first-time parent, you, you worry about the clothes matching and being spotless. Other parents, you say, okay, are, are their parts covered and, and is that a, does that same smell too bad, right? You know what I mean? Like, doesn't, good, you're, go, you're good, go. First-time parent, every time your, your kid trips, you call the pediatrician and you put them on the prayer list at church, you know what I mean? Like, and, and then a seasoned veteran parent, what happens? Your kid could fall off a ladder, and, and what's the first thing you say? No, 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 ignore it. Everybody, ignore it. Ignore it, and he won't cry. He's fine. Ignore it, right? Isn't that, isn't that true, right? As you gain that experience, you become serious about serious things. The frivolity leaves. 
right? And again, young men are tempted to be serious about the wrong things because of a lack of perspective and experience. So how can young men show dignity? Well, you can choose to be serious about a couple of things. Number one, be serious about the Word of God. Be real students. I don't mean a hobby. I'm, I, it's your bread. The Word of God is your bread. Be serious about your bread. You're serious about eating, right? Staying alive. The Word of God is your bread. Be serious about it. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you've gotten the idea that your Bible is a hobby, that's an accessory, right? It's a prop you bring to church. I am so sorry. It's not. It's your bread. It is your bread. You should be as much a student of the word as much as I am personally. I'm not talking about studying for the church. I mean personally because it's your bread as much as it is mine. And the Lord will reveal wisdom to you and what's worth being serious over as you're serious about the Word of God. The second thing, be serious about mentors. Be serious about mentors. Now don't believe the mentor myth that there's one guy out there who can be a perfect mentor to you and, 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 and just show you all kinds of wisdom in every area of your life. That's not true. But there are a team of godly, other older godly men waiting to help you. They will help you know what to be serious about in different arenas of your life. There's, there's an older man for me that when it comes to parenting, I ask him questions. There's an older man for me that when it comes to finances, I ask this man a question. If it comes to being a good husband, I ask this man a question. If it comes to leading a church, I ask this man a question. If it comes to leading students, I ask this man a question, right? Be serious about mentors. Be serious about men who have walked those paths. Seek them out. Seek out that knowledge and have them teach you what's worth being serious about. Proverbs eleven fourteen. the scripture is wonderful. Memorize it. Where there's no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. Be serious about mentors. Fifthly, and lastly, use sound speech. Sound meaning healthy and wholesome. So, so in light of living a self-controlled life in agreement with sound doctrine, it means this. Our speech should be helpful, healthy, and true. The temptation of younger men is to say whatever comes to mind, right? Foot and mouth disease is, is definitely something uh, uh, that you see prevalent among uh, younger men. It doesn't mean that older men don't get it, believe me. However, it is, seems to be prevalent. I'll give you an example uh, from my own life. A few examples I've ever stuck my foot in my mouth, but I'll give you one of them. Um, when I was in college, we had chapel. And uh, so every Tuesday we had to go to chapel and, and they had different speakers come in. Well, sometimes they didn't have speakers and so um, they would take professors from our Christian studies department and allow them to preach uh, for the chapel. And chapel was required. You had to go to chapel. And I think that's, that's great. You want to get people in church, just make them, right? And so they made us go to chapel and, and so I came in late and uh, so I sat down next to this lady. I didn't know her at all. She's kind of a, a middle-aged lady, kind of a... Uh, maybe a little bit older than that, and, and I didn't know her, and, and so I sat down, and I got the little bulletin thing, and I looked, and, and I couldn't believe it. It was my professor of New Testament, uh, who was the dullest man alive, right? I'm, I, look, I know the Lord never slumbers, but he might close his eyes a couple of times when this guy prays. Like, he, is a, he was the dullest human being, and so I sit down, and I see that, and I just go, oh, and she, she says, so she says, hey, what's, what's going on? Like, what's, what seems to be the problem? And I was like, oh, it's a speaker today. It's this professor. And she said, what's, what's, a, what's wrong? And I was like, he, I have him for New Testament. He's the dullest human being alive, all right? Like, we might slip into comas, okay? Like, this is not 
a good thing. And I didn't even think about it. And she says, do you know who I am? I said, no. And she said, I'm that man's wife. I said, do you know who I am? And she said, no. And I said, have a good day. And I left chapel early. So we we know our words are powerful. Proverbs says power of life and death. But it's so hard to choose life with our words. So how do we exercise self-control with our words and display sound speech? It's this. Be quick and be slow. Be quick and be slow. James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So be quick to hear quick to gather information. This is something I've recently learned, probably within the last five to seven years, it's changed my life. You can never have enough information. Immediately, we always think that our perspective is the best. However, your perspective is limited. Everyone's is. Gather information. Be quick to hear. Am I hearing this right? How do you know this to be true, right? Gather information. Be quick to hear. Secondly, be slow to speak. Think. Ask yourself, are my words helpful that I'm about to speak, and are they true? Are they true? Ephesians 4.29 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So your words are mainly important what? Not to you, how you want them to be heard. They're mainly important to what? To your audience. It says, don't think about like, oh, well, this will make you sound really cool. It says, are they encouragement to other people who hear them? That's what's important. Are they eloquent? Whatever. Are they an encouragement? Are they helpful? So, so think, be slow to speak, and lastly, be slow to become angry. Give them the benefit of the doubt. That's something I've learned so big, so big about love, is love gives people the benefit of the doubt and trust the Lord to handle them. Even when you give them the, the benefit of the doubt, and guess what? You were right all along. Trust the Lord. Young men, be sound in speech. So I want to include with this, whether you're an older man, older woman, younger woman, younger man, you've been called to adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, where you are right now. And you've been called to do it in a way that only you can. So, so wherever you are in life, you lean into that. And, and you lean into it and you make it count. And you make it count here. The church needs you here. We need the experiences you've had. We need what the Lord's shown you. We, we need your passion. We need your strength, right? We need you now. And so young men, if you want to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior, then have your lives under control. Be committed to good deeds. Be committed to living lives of truth. Be committed to being serious about what matters and speak the things that are wholesome and healthy and life-giving. I'd like to close uh, as we have the past uh, few weeks um, by, by praying for the, the audience we've been talking to. And that would be young men today. So I'm going to ask um, if you are um, in your, let's say, whatever, 18 or whatever, uh, on up to through your 40s, maybe even into your 50s, that's up to you. Would you just stand where you are? You, you don't have to move. Just stand where you are. Stand where, we just talked about being lazy. Come on. Stand where you are, all right? So I think it's the quickest thing anyone's ever forgotten what I said. All right. Stand where you are. Um, and here's what I'm going to ask everyone else to do. Um, if you would, uh, in, in a moment, before we pray, if you would, would you stand as well? 
And would you gather around these men where they are? So if you can get to the aisle where they are, if you can't reach them, you can reach someone in front of you. Um, that's fine. Put your hand on the, <clears throat> the shoulder who is touching them or whatever. But gather around them if you would. Men, men that are standing now, if you feel uncomfortable with people putting their hand on their shoulders, that's, that's absolutely okay. That's absolutely understandable. We don't know where you came from, right? That's absolutely okay. You can just sit down. When I ask everyone else to stand up and gather around you, you can just sit down, and that's fine. But men, if you feel comfortable, that's okay. I really prefer you stand up and have other men gather um, around you. And we're going to spend some time praying for younger men, and then I'll close um, with a prayer for younger men. Actually, I'm not going to close with a prayer for younger men. I am a younger man. I'm a brother John. Uh, close with a prayer for younger men. Um, and so, if you would now, if you, as you see younger men, uh, would you gather around them now? Uh, if you feel comfortable doing that, would you gather around them now and just pray? You can pray out loud, you can pray silently, but gather around them now praying for them as the Lord's instructed us today. And Brother John will close us um, with a prayer.